So just a, a real quick comment before, uh, before we get started. So I, m- my mom has been able to be here two Sundays in a row. So, and it seems like every time she's here, I get to preach. So Ryan, I don't know if we can maybe arrange something. No, I'm just kidding. But one of, the, one of the things that my mom said as we were driving away from church last Sunday was, wow, your church sings. You guys sing really loud. It's standing up in, in the front and just stopping and listening and feeling the, just feeling the words, the words and the truths of the gospel uh, wash over me as, as it's sung is just about moving me to tears right now. So uh, that's a, a testimony uh, to, to the passion with which this church worships, worships Jesus. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for being an encouragement and a blessing to my mom. Uh, so as, as Dave mentioned this morning, we are going to be in an especially difficult uh, passage of Scripture. And usually, just humanly speaking, when we see something that kind of uh, grosses us out or, or something that, that offends us, something that we don't, uh, that, that don't want to deal with, we kind of want to move on quickly, right? We don't want to dwell on that, that thing or, or that concept, that idea, that, that situation. We, we want to move on quickly, Unfortunately for us, the Bible contains many difficult passages, and, and this is one of them. Uh, some that we would rather not read, especially in the, in the Old Testament, as Israel's history is, re- is recounted, and, and the, the number of men and women that just did some really, really awful things. Things that make our stomachs churn, things that make us angry, things that we, we do not understand, but... They are in the Bible, and they are in the Bible for a reason. The, the Bible is God's inspired word. So when we, when we pick up the Bible, it is, it is God speaking directly. So when, when we see those difficult passages in God's word, it is God speaking to us directly. So, so since they are in the Bible, we need the Spirit's help. We need the Spirit's help uh, to to grasp what they might mean, to, to help us understand what these passages are in the Bible for in the first place. Genesis uh, chapters 18 and 19 deal with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two cities which are actually part of a, a metropolis of five cities in the valley that's probably located just south of the Dead Sea. If you're familiar with your, your Middle East geography, some of us are, some of us aren't, the Dead Sea is, is east of the Mediterranean. Sea of Galilee is north of the Dead Sea, and those two, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, are connected by the Jordan River. So keep going south to the valley just south of the Dead Sea, and, and you have the general vicinity for where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and three other cities were located. And as we're going to study, all but one of these cities are destroyed. But when we study a passage like this in its entirety, and to be sure, we can look at this in smaller, smaller pieces. And, and we, can, we can look at Lot. We can look at Abraham's interaction with God. We can look at, at Lot's daughters. We can look at the, the interaction that Lot had with the angels. But when we look at it all together, there are three very clear themes that start to emerge. From this text of scripture. Number one, the justice of God, divine mercy, and human depravity. 
the justice of God, divine mercy, and human depravity. So starting in chapter 18, verses 16 through 21, since we're covering a lot, I'm not going to read these verses. I'll just direct you to where we're at as we walk through this text. In verses 16 to 21, Abraham has just interacted with God and two different angels. It, he, he, is, he has had this interaction where, where God has promised that he is going to have a son, and Sarah laughs. Sarah laughs at what, what God is going to do because both Abraham and Sarah are old. So after this interaction where we just left off last week has concluded, God is still there in the presence of Abraham. The Lord remains with Abraham and the two angels set out towards Sodom. As part of his covenant with Abraham, God brings Abraham into his Council verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Abraham is now in this covenant relationship with God, and God is revealing to Abraham what he's thinking, the, the direction that he is looking to go, how, how he is looking to work specifically in the city that he is looking down on with Abraham. And to put it plainly, God tells Abraham that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is very great and that they deserve destruction. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is, is so bad that God looks and says, I must destroy this community. I must get rid of this people. So r right now is where it's appropriate for us to stop and pause and ask, the question, what was the sin of Sodom? What, what was it that God looked and saw and was disgusted by? What was it that, that God said, I've got to deal with this? And there are several texts of Scripture that, that, we, that we have to deal with, uh, one being the text that we're in this morning, but also passages like Jude, chap Jude verses 6 and 7 where Jude writes, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains and under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is heavy stuff. Th this is Jude looking back and, and helping us to understand what's taking place in the Old Testament. Sexual immorality, but also unnatural desire. Well, what is that unnatural desire? And for that, we turn to Romans chapter 1. And verses 18 to 32 make clear that, that the judgment of God, that judgment of God on sin in general, involves homosexual behavior. Verses 26 through 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The primary sin with which Sodom and Gomorrah struggled was homosexual behavior. 
And that, that is a very, very difficult thing for us to read and then, and then to, to, to look around us, to look in our communities, to look sometimes within our own families and to see that we are, we are impacted by that. There are probably a number of us in this room that are impacted by homosexual behavior within our families or somebody that we love, somebody that we care about deeply. So, so what do we do? When, when, we, when we're faced with these hard passages, we have to trust that God is in control, that, that these things are sinful and these things are wrong, that, that we can't in and of ourselves try to win somebody over to Christ just by loving them without speaking the truth to them. There, there is a balance there. John talks about Jesus speaking with grace and with truth, both. Not either or, both and. The sin of Sodom was homosexual behavior. That was their, their primary sin. This was the primary reason that God looked at these cities and said they must be judged. I have to do something. So God reveals these plans to Abraham. He is going to judge the city, and Abraham Abraham stands before the Lord, 1822, then 1823, Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Effectively, Abraham is asking God, are you just? Are you fair? Are you righteous? Is this something that you can do? Is, is this allowed? You, you have demonstrated your love to me. You have provided my needs. You've promised me a son. You're going to give me this great nation. Are, are, you, are you as good as you say that you are if you are going to do this to Sodom and Gomorrah? And in his head, he's thinking, my nephew Lot is down there, and his wife is down there, and his daughters are down there. Are you going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked? Can you do that? Is that allowed? I've got an idea, God. What if there are 50 righteous? Will you spare the community if there are that many righteous people? Sure, Abraham. Sure, if there are 50 righteous, I will. Well, what about 45? Yeah, Abraham. Sure, okay, 40. I'm like... For me, I automatically go to interactions with my kids when they try to negotiate different things. And sometimes bedtime feels like a, a hostage situation where I'm <laughs> negoti negotiating with little terrorists. But <laughs> I love my children. But Abraham has this, in, this interaction with God where he is, he is slowly reducing the number. How about 30, Lord? What if there are 20? What about 10? Because you can imagine that, that Abraham is looking and he knows what's going on down there. He's had interactions with the kings in, in this area. He's, he, he has met with the Melchizedek and the king of Sodom after he rescued Lot. Abraham knows what this community is like. And he knows that 50 probably isn't going to cut it. So he needs to go all the way down to 10. 
God promises that for the sake of ten people, he will not destroy Sodom. That is God's mercy. That is, that is the grace of God. That is the gospel. Perfectly clear in Genesis 18, right after this covenant with Abraham. Yes, yes, if there are that many righteous, I will spare the whole city, not just the ten. I will spare all five cities in this community if there are but ten righteous people in Sodom. God promises that the righteous will not be destroyed and it's even willing to withhold judgment on the wicked for the sake of the righteous. In other words, this interaction demonstrates for both Abraham and for us that God is just. God is fair. He is merciful. His mercy is more. God was willing to hold off on his judgment even for the sake of of a few righteous people. So now the, now the story shifts. Once it gets to 10, God went his way after he had finished speaking to Abraham. The conversation was done. God has demonstrated his justice. He has demonstrated his mercy. He has demonstrated his patience. Yes, Abraham, for 10 more, for 10 people, I will spare it. And now we're, we're transitioned in this story, in this narrative, down to the city of Sodom. The, the angels, the two angels who have walked away from God and Abraham and started traveling down towards, down into the valley, down to the city, down to speak to Lot, they travel to Sodom and they enter through the gate. And Lot invites them into his home after, so that we're in, in verses 1 through 23 of chapter 9, after they have said, we're going to sleep in the city square. Now imagine Lot being like, no, don't do that. Why don't you come to my house? Hey, why don't you come into my home he doesn't say this to them, but it's, it's safe there. You will be protected there. Hospitality laws, or I guess maybe understandings, not necessarily laws, but the, the way that hospitality worked in those days, if you had a visitor in your home, you treated them like they were your own family or better. When they were under your roof, you spoiled them with all of the good food that you had. You gave them the best beds, and you protected them. When they were under your roof, you were responsible for them. You were responsible for their, their safety, for their health, and their well-being. So, so keep that in mind as, as we progress through this story, the, the predicament that Lot found himself in. Verses 4 to 11 represent yet another difficult thing for us to try to understand. After Lot has brought these angels in the appearance of men into his home, all of the men of the city, every single one of them, both the young and the old, surrounded the house. They surrounded the house and they demanded that Lot send 
these men out. So remember what Lot's responsibilities are as a host for these, these two angels. He knows what the men of the city want to do to these angels. And he cannot allow that to happen. He is required he is required to protect them. So he steps out of the door and he pleads with these men. Verse 7 of 19, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. And this is where it gets really, really awful. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Knowing what, what, these visit, what these, the men of the community want to do to his angelic visitors, Lot offers up his daughters. Does that kind of make your stomach churn? Does that make you uncomfortable? Does that make you mad? For those of us that have daughters, oh yeah. How can it not? And yet Lot finds himself in this predicament where it's either protect the hosts or protect the people that are visiting or protect my own daughters. This is the kind of predicament that Lot has gotten himself into by living in a sinful culture and not standing strong for the truth. If you look at the, the entirety of Lot uh, and the, the times that he shows up in the Old Testament, he's He's kind of weak. He, he's not strong in his faith. He, he is not strong in standing up for what is right because these men ultimately mock him. They have no respect for Lot. They have no respect for his opinion. He, he found himself in a situation where he thought, okay, I got to do something to make them happy. I'll send them my daughters who are virgins. This is awful. This is awful, but this is, this is further proof that these, these, these men of the community were, were not just after sex, period, because they turned down the offer of Lot's daughters, thankfully. They turned down the, the offer that Lot had given to them of sending out his daughters. They wanted the angels. They wanted those that had the appearance of men. And when he says, no, and refuses to allow them, they press up against the door and try to take them by force. And they tell Lot, we're going to do just as much to you as we're going to do to these an angelic visitors, only worse. The angels pull Lot back into his home and they strike these men with blindness. Lot is supernaturally spared. His daughters are supernaturally spared by the work of these angels, by, by the power that, that God gave to these angels to protect Lot and his family. And even in their blindness, 19 verse 11, even in their blindness, they wore themselves out groping for the door. They didn't try to go home. They didn't just go sit in the city square for the night. They were still trying to get 
into Lot's home. The men said to Lot, verse 12, have you anyone else here? So these are the angels. Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone that you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out to his sons-in-law, who are to marry his daughters, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to be, to his sons-in-law, to be jesting. When he tries to, to warn the men that are going to marry his daughters that God is going to destroy it, and we need to get out of here, we need to escape, get your stuff, get whatever you can carry, and run out of here. And they think that he is joking. They think that he is, he's pulling their leg. They, they, they think that he could not be serious. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. You're not going to get anybody else, Lot. Take your immediate family and escape. So that's one, two, three, four people. That's short of the ten. Now there, there, is, there is some speculation that maybe Lot had two daughters that were married. And these were his sons-in-law and his, his other two daughters were, were not married. So that's, what, eight? That's still short of the ten. That's still short of the ten. And I would argue that Lot was the only one that would have been considered righteous. The angels urged Lot, take your wife and your two daughters are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. He's, he's warned his sons-in-law, our future sons-in-law, God's going to, God's going to destroy the city. We got to get out of here. And then he lingers. He hangs around. He, he's not... He, he's not ready to leave. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. There is God's mercy again. As they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. Two important things here. Go to the hills and don't turn back. Go to the hills and don't turn back. And Lot immediately complains, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I can't escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Like, this is like toddler not wanting to walk, level whining. Right? We've, all seen the, we've all seen the memes of like a parent like dragging their kid by the foot or their, by the arms just trying to get them to get out the door. Any of you read Calvin and Hobbes? All the Calvin being dragged to, yes, read. Yes, Travis. All, all, of the, all of the panels of Calvin being dragged either to the bath or to school or 
having his pictures taken. Like, it, that, that's, that's what I picture when, when I think of this interaction between Lot and the angels that are trying to spare him. He's dragging his feet like a little kid that does not want to do something that they're being told to do. And he says, what about this city? It's near enough that I can flee to it. It's, I don't have to run that far. Can, can I just run there and God can just not judge that city? It's the city of Zoar, which ends up not being destroyed because Lot is there with his daughters. One of, one of five cities that was scheduled to be destroyed by, by the Lord. And God spares it. God's mercy yet again. Verse 21, he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Even when he knows what is coming, Lot is still dragging his feet. And as, as soon as he reaches Zoar, Verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Because of the utter sinfulness of these cities, God destroyed them. And there's no, really no comparison or illustration that can adequately measure the effects of God Almighty raining sulfur on these cities. The, the nearest we might be able to come to that are the atomic bombs that were dropped on the, the two cities in Japan, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Estimates place the heat at the center of those blasts at over a million degrees Celsius. So for some of you science or math people, that's like even more millions of degrees Fahrenheit. It's hot. It's really, really hot. And those were man-made explosives. Sodom and Gomorrah experienced directly the wrath of God. Nothing even comes close. Nothing even registers. In many translations, verse 24 has the, the word LORD all capitalized. So if, if you've got your Bible, look at, look at Genesis 19, verse 24. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Anytime you see the word LORD used in all capital letters, that's, that's uh, the English translation for the word Yahweh what could be looked at or understood as God's ultimate name. The, the name of God that, that as, as much as possible captures all of his divine attributes 
into one that, that captures all of God's character, all of his qualities, all of who he is into one name. And, and translated into English, it's the words, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus uses that name of himself. And when God uses that, that name of himself in the Old Testament, it demonstrates his ultimate power, his ultimate authority, his ultimate wisdom, his ultimate might. Every, every superlative that you can think about, of about God, every adjective, every attribute that you can think of, all of those things to an infinite degree. So think about all of who God is all of his wrath, all of his characteristics and his attributes poured into him raining fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. The wrath of God, which is infinite, focused in and, and poured out on these cities. His judgment was absolute. No one in the city survived. All of the vegetation was destroyed too. Everything in these communities was gone, burned up like that. And when Abraham looks down on those cities, all he sees is this great furnace of smoke. A visible representation of the wrath of God. And rather than obey the strict instructions of the angels, Lot's wife turns to watch the destruction of the city and is immediately judged by God for her disobedience. She, she was hanging on to what was left behind. She was hanging on to the, to the sin that she enjoyed. And God judged her immediately. She'd been given plenty of warning. Don't even look back. Get out of the city. Escape the wrath of God. Don't look back. And yet she did. And yet another difficult section of Scripture to understand, verses 30 to 38, is the, is the final in a confusing and sordid tale of Lot in the Old Testament. After this, we don't hear about Lot again until the New Testament. After this, Lot is gone from the story, but there, there is something incredible that pops out in verses 36 and 37. Something that we'll, we'll talk about in just a minute, but the the... the Lot eventually ends up going up into the hills. He leaves Zoar, and he goes up into the hills with his daughters. And his daughters recognize, okay, we lost our husbands. We don't have anybody to give us children. So they use their father to obtain sons. Also, a very stomach-churning account. Very, very difficult to understand that, that Lot's daughters would have children by him. But, but look at verse 37. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. Does that, na that, that word sound familiar to anybody? Who was from Moab? Say it louder. Ruth. Ruth was from Moab. Out of the incestuous start of a nation comes a woman that God, that God brings into the line of the Messiah. That, that God could take something as vile and disgusting as that and, and, and 
bring glory to himself through that? I'm going to take this woman, Ruth, and I am going to bring her into the line of Messiah so that when people see that Ruth was from Moab, and then they go back to Genesis and see that Moab started because some girl had a baby with her dad, what can't God do? Right? What can't God do? Look at what he did with that. When we study a passage like this, we we have to look at it through the lens of the gospel. We have to take a big picture perspective at it. We we have to look at it in context with the entire Bible. Because from Genesis to Revelation is, is a story arc. And it all points to Christ. It all points to Jesus. It, it all points to the things that, that God can and does do when it seems like it is impossible. When it seems like there is no hope. Lot's daughters were hopeless because they didn't have any husbands, so they turned to their dad. But look at what God did. If we try to take a, a storyline on this own, uh, like this on its own, we do, we do have to be careful to not get mired down in the details, and it is easy to do that. It's easy to boil it down to a list of do's and don'ts. Don't be like Lot. Don't be like Lot's wife. Don't be like the Sodomites. Don't be like Lot's daughters. And to be sure, there are very, very important lessons to be taken from each and every one of these men and women. And in shorter messages focused on these particular individuals, we could spend more time talking about the issues that they all experienced. But when we look at the big picture of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see just what God can do, both in punishing the righteous, but also in the mind-blowing pictures that we can see of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's justice is very clear, but so is God's mercy so is God's kindness. So, so is the offer of, of deliverance and salvation. It is crystal clear in a passage like this. So, so where, where do we go from here? What, what do we do with a text of Scripture like this? It is a sobering reminder to us of the hatred that God has towards sin. In this context, God demonstrates his hatred towards homosexuality. But in other passages of passages of scripture god's god's wrath and his justice is equally on all sin we need to be reminded of the hatred that god has towards sin we need to be reminded that god does in fact judge sin he does not let it go unpunished exodus 34 we have no excuse we who have the entire Bible, we who have the Gospels, we, ha- we who can study the life of Christ, we have no excuse when it comes to rejecting Christ. So when we try to sugarcoat or downplay sin, it is not loving at all. It is not loving at all for us to do that. Jesus demonstrated this over and over in the New Testament. He never downplayed sin. In love, Jesus called out sin And he called sinners to repentance and faith in him. We're going to have to take hard stances because we love people. And that's that's hard to do because we want to have control, right? If, If we've got somebody, 
in our lives that is affected by sin and we, we know that we need to address it. We, we don't want to, uh, we want to be gentle or maybe try to make it seem like it's not as bad as it really is because we want to maintain that relationship or, 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 or we're looking for opportunities to share the gospel or, and we can come up with a number of different reasons why we might sugarcoat or downplay issues that we see in others' lives. That is not loving at all. God takes sin very, very seriously. And sometimes it's going to cost us some relationships in the short term to stand up for what's right. There's going to be challenges and difficulties for us to obey. And we will lose things. We, we will lose relationships. Jesus has promised that. But take heart. Because God's got this. God knows what he's doing. We're not going to be able to do anything to win somebody over apart from the work of God in their hearts. Let go of control. Speak the truth in love. And let God handle the rest. We look at a story like Sodom and Gomorrah and we see such a clear picture of the gospel. I didn't get to see it as much until I got to study for this message, which I did not intentionally pick out this one. <laughs> Just had some dates that worked, and I picked this date, and Pastor Ryan said, ha, you get Sodom and Gomorrah. So when I, when I brought up to him earlier this week just the difficulties in studying through it, he goes, well, you chose it. <laughs> so I did. But as I've, as I've looked, I've just been completely hit over the head a number of times this week in looking at this text and, and seeing, seeing the beauty of the gospel, even in a, in, even in a passage like this. That even here, God is, is doing something intentional, that, that we can see his mercy and his justice, his kindness, his patience. At any point, he could have said, okay, forget it, Lot. You've had enough warnings. I'm done with you. But he waited until Lot, got, Lot went to the city, and he spared him and his family. So now we, we get to celebrate the gospel through communion. So I'll ask the, the men, men to come up as we uh, prepare to, to take part in communion. This is, this is a time that we, as a local church body, participate together in remembering the death of Christ for the remission of sin. We, we look at the gospel and, and we celebrate it together. We, we reflect on the work that Christ has done together. So as you take the bread and drink the cup, think about what it is that Christ has done. Reflect, reflect on the depth of your own sin. Feel the weight of the wrong that you have done against God, but also celebrate what Christ has done for you. This, this is supposed to be a, a, a good time for us together. It should be somber, but it should be good. It should be enjoyable. It should be a time of reflection and, and it should be a time of joy. But with this, 
also comes a warning. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul warns that we should not eat from the table unless we have first examined ourselves. If you are not a follower of Christ, this celebration is not for you. If you are a follower of Christ with unconfessed, unrepented sin, you should maybe think twice about taking communion today. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians that to do so brings judgment. So take some time as the elements are distributed to self-examine. Look inward and ask that God would show you if you are about to participate of the table in an unworthy manner. If, if you are a follower of Christ, take some time. Get your heart right with the Lord. If, if you are not a follower of Christ, th think and reflect on what it is that Christ has done for you. Today is the day of salvation. If you have not placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, do it this morning. If you need to talk to somebody, come find, come find somebody. I'll, I'll be sitting up here. I'd be happy to talk to somebody. Any, any one of these men up here would be happy to talk to you. Any one of us that are part of this church would love to talk to you about how you can come to know Christ today. So men, why don't you come on up and we'll distribute the elements.